I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is... Miniseries 4, Schrodinger's Prince. Welcome to the fourth miniseries. You may notice that I sound a little under the weather. I promise I'm feeling much better than last week. Funny story, this was meant to be out a week ago. But I got sick, obviously. I'd kept my daughter out of school the week before to try to keep from getting sick because everyone in her class was sick. And somehow, despite not seeing any of her school friends, we both got sick and then passed it on to my sons. So, despite my voice sounding horrible, I am completely fine. I do apologize if it's distracting. This fourth miniseries will be a proper miniseries, as in, it will only have one subject. Unless you're a patron. More on that in a moment. This series will take us to Korea, which is a country close to my heart. I was lucky enough to live outside of Seoul in Bucheon for two years, and in both cities on the island of Jeju for two years. To make it very clear, this was all in the Republic of Korea, often referred to as South Korea. I only mention this because I get asked a lot. The closest I've ever been to North Korea is, well, on the border. It's pretty easy to get tours of the Demilitarized Zone, or DMZ slash DMZ. Had to say it both ways for Phil. I taught English to preschool and primary age children for my four years there, along with a few other things. Despite this connection, I sadly didn't take the time to study Korean history while I was there. So I'm looking forward to using this episode and future episodes with subjects in Korea to learn a bit more. Anyone who speaks Korean will have heard the one Korean vowel I struggle with, aw. This is despite more than 14 years of practice. I'm sure I'll get it one day. Thankfully, the rest of the alphabet is not a struggle for me, so mispronunciations should be far fewer than in episodes with a lot of French names and places. Oh, and to make it clear, I will use South Korean pronunciations throughout, mainly because those are the ones I know. Before I get too excited telling you all about Korea, which I will continue doing through this episode, I should probably share this miniseries' subject. Crown Prince Sado was the only surviving son of King Yongjo of Joseon. Yongjo was the 21st ruler of Joseon, and his reign lasted 51 years, from 1724 to 1776. This will be a two-part series, with a special episode about Sado's senior wife, Lady Hyegyang, for patrons in the heir apparent and usurped tiers. 
If you're interested in becoming a patron, visit patreon.com forward slash past pod. I have three tiers, air presumptive, which is two US dollars per month and includes ad-free episodes. Air apparent, which is five US dollars per month and includes special episodes. And usurped, which is 15 US dollars per month and allows the patron to commission their own special episodes. All levels include early access to comics, as well as this too shall pass, and shout outs, which is great. As with all series, though, I like discussing a bit about the area I will be covering before getting on to the subject. For those who don't know, until 1945, there was only one Korea. At least there had only been one Korea since 1392 or so. The country has gone through a few different names and has been ruled by multiple dynasties. So the Korea I'll be talking about in this properly mini mini series will be a country that covers the entire peninsula and Jeju Island, as well as multiple smaller islands. By the time of this series, the 1700s, the use of Hangul, the script used natively to write in Korean was widespread, at least among those who could read and write. It was used mainly by and for women, though. Men could read it, but when they were writing to each other or for official records, they still used Chinese script called Hanja in Korean. Hangul was invented by Sejong the Great. Personal name, Ido. Sejong was the fourth ruler of the Yi dynasty and ascended to the throne after his father's voluntary abdication. While his father had abdicated, the elder king still ruled in all but name. I will be doing a later miniseries on this family because Sejong should never have been king. His two older brothers should have. After Sejong's father died, he was finally able to lead. Sejong was bothered that many of his people couldn't read or write due to the use of hanja, the Chinese characters. If you've ever studied these, you know it's a lot more work than learning an alphabet. And I'm speaking from personal experience. I've studied them extensively and still struggle. Plus, Chinese and Korean are not analogous languages when it comes to pronunciation. Sejong thought he could do better. Now, it's likely he didn't personally invent the alphabet. He instead assigned a group of highly educated men to design it. Always men. There is a tiny chance Sejong did invent it himself, but that would have been a lot of work for a person who was ruling a kingdom. The alphabet wasn't widely used until the late 16th century due to mainly classism. Yes, it's an ongoing problem everywhere. We should count ourselves lucky that the Romans and Greeks used alphabets. Those may not be perfect, especially the one we use in English, but it was helpful for the spread of writing in Europe. Scholars are not even 100% sure how Hangul was invented, because the rulers that followed Sejong suppressed it and early records were destroyed. It is possible some of the letters were borrowed from the Tibetan script, Square Tibetan. There is also the possibility that it was borrowed from Chinese script, much like Hiragana and Katakana. Under Japanese rule, the use of Korean in general was suppressed, and Hangul in particular. Thankfully, the language and alphabet survived. This alphabet is actually rather impressive. It's quick and easy to learn to read and write. As someone who could already read the syllabic writing systems of hiragana and katakana, I was able to learn to read hangul from street signs in less than two days, and then furthered my knowledge over my four years living in Korea. 
I actually do make sure to refresh my knowledge regularly. Duolingo is great for that, and it helps me with my actual spoken Korean. If you're curious, street signs are written in Hangul and the Latin alphabet. I'm not some natural polyglot, no matter what my husband says. <laughs> People who can read already can usually learn to read Hangul within a week. I've watched three-year-olds learn to read Hangul. Even those who struggle with reading can learn it rather quickly. Now, I do need to emphasize, this isn't the Korean language. That takes just as long as other languages. But learning to read the things you can't yet understand is so much easier than learning to read them in English or, say, French. While on the topic of language, the word for king, wang, is also a word that can be applied to a queen regnant. Unlike, say, English, where the word queen literally means wife of the king. This would be similar to what I discussed in Empress Matilda's episodes. We should just use the word king for the ruler regardless of sex. Compared to France and England, where the last three series focused, Korea is a bit different, especially in the royal family. One of the biggest things is there's less of an issue, well, making issue. Kings can have more than one wife. We usually refer to the less senior wives as concubines, but that word in English has a negative connotation. These women, though, are better described as noble consorts. They were a junior wife. The senior wife is referred to as queen, and a king could have up to three noble consorts in addition to his queen. There are some complicated rules about this that I'll eventually get into in future episodes. I'll use the two most famous examples in English history, Henry I and Henry VIII. In the former's case, it could mean that any of his mistresses could have been his official junior wife, and their children could have been in line to rule. In Henry VIII's case, it means he could have just taken a second wife without needing his first marriage dissolved. It's important to note, I've also moved ahead about 250 years in history. The subject for the next few episodes was born in 1735, which is 232 years after the death of our last subject, Elizabeth of York. Obviously, Margaret Beaufort lived a little longer. Names are something I don't want to ignore. I will be using the traditional Korean naming system, surname first, given name second, because that's what I'm used to using. And it's appropriate. Once a person is introduced, I'll likely use their full name, sometimes just their given name, and sometimes their title, but I'll try to make it clear who I'm talking about throughout. There's another complication when it comes to names. Royals have a few of them. A personal name, which for men is usually known, for women it's not. And this would be the name a parent would call their child or an intimate would call a friend. Once king, or in rare cases, queen, a sovereign has a regnal name. This is the one used on official documents. Finally, once a ruler dies, they receive a posthumous name. I will keep it simple. I'll share all the names of people if it's necessary, but I'm going to reference the name that will bring up the person I'm talking about easiest on Google or Wikipedia. Again, I'm not a huge fan of the latter, other than their copyright-free pictures but it's a good place to look for a quick reference or to discover where to find out more if you're interested in a subject. It's something to remember that even though I'll be using the easiest to find name, this likely wouldn't have been the name used by a person's family or friends. I shouldn't forget to tell you, during this time period and today, 
women didn't take their husband's names when they were married. So in Lost, Jacob's list really only included Jin, not Sun, because Sun's surname was Pak, not Quan. This is actually a bit of Confucianism. A person's name is a gift from their parents, and changing it is an insult. Children traditionally took their father's surname. Today, that has changed. Parents can give their children either parent's surname, and many are starting to. Oh, and I'm not going to explain generational names in this episode. I actually am planning on doing a This Too Shall Pass on it very soon. There is one more thing about names. While most Korean surnames are a single syllable, and I'm not going to get into longer surnames in this episode, there are other names that a person with those names will know. These are their clan names. So surnames like Kim Yi and Park, or Kim Lee and Park, as will be heard outside of Korea, are common, much like Smith and Jones. Each person also has a clan name. For Kim, which is the surname for 21% of the population of Korea, there are almost 350 clan names, or Bonguan. Kim Hae is the most common Bonguan for the surname Kim. The reason I bring this up is there's a cultural practice of avoiding marrying someone with the same clan name, despite the fact that in, say, the Kim Hae Kim, there are over 4 million members, and the likelihood of two members being related and not knowing it is negligible. How is this negligible, you ask? Because traditionally, each generation of a family is recorded in a jokbo, a genealogical book that outlines the past members of a family. This is an in-family record. It, though, makes it really easy to check if two people are related. There are copies of these registers going back hundreds of years, and they're usually held by the oldest son's line. From 1953 until 2005 in South Korea and ongoing in North Korea, the government kept a register called a hojok. This register was the legal and formal version of the jokbo. It was removed from South Korea in 2005 due to being, well, sexist, since it had requirements for certain men to register children, not allowing children to be registered under their mother's family and other various outdated reasons. Imagine being a single mother. Today, a parent can register their child in a personal registry. Now that I've given you a bit of an overview of Korea, I should probably tell you who the focus for this properly mini-mini-series is and then put them in historical context before getting to the episode. Crown Prince Sado was the second son of King Yongjo. He was born seven years after the death of his older brother. Neither of King Yongjo's queen consorts had any known issue. Sado was instead the son of King Yongjo's second royal consort. And after this message, you'll hear more. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The reason I chose Sato has nothing to do with Sato himself, per se. Instead, I chose him due to his wife, Lady Hyegyung. In fact, my source for these next few episodes are Lady Hyegyung's memoirs, translated by Ja Hyun Kim Habaush. Yes, this is better than any chronicler, no matter how close they were to the throne. She just hits it out of the ballpark. Lady Hyegyung was in the inner circle, and her account of events is pivotal to our understanding of the time period. I and every single Korean researcher I've read recommend this book and this particular translation if you're not fluent in Korean. The memoirs of Lady Hyegyung are four separate volumes. It's not super long, though. Each serves a different purpose. The first covers her life with Prince Sado. The second is written due to her brother and uncle being accused of crimes and then being executed. Her brother supposedly converted to Catholicism, and her uncle was executed for disloyalty. The third focuses on her son, who would become king after his grandfather's death. The fourth focused in greater detail on Sado's life. The two episodes about Sado will mainly use the first and fourth volumes, but my special episode will be using all four volumes, so check that out. I actually want to quickly talk about Jae Hyun Kim Habaush. She was from Korea, as her name hints, but I'm using the Western style of naming for her because that's how she chose to publish in English. I'll be including a link to the Columbia Spectre's post following her death in 2011. Please give this a look if you're curious about her at all. Dr. Kim Habausch was a professor at Columbia for the last 11 years of her career. And I think the world should be grateful that she translated this book. Because in addition to her love of Korean history, she was a Chinese language scholar with a deep knowledge of Confucianism and Neo-Confucianism. This is important because Lady Hyegyung was living during the third generation of Neo-Confucianist thought. This means that while Dr. Kim Habaush was translating this work, she could put things within the proper historical context. She also looked into the feminine context of Lady Hyegyung's life. This is a life different from anything most people living could imagine. Gilded cage would be an understatement. I will be using a few other sources as well. Dr. Kim Habausch has a few other books that are rather useful, so have a look through her entire works if you're interested in Korean history. The History of Korea by Homer B. Holbert is great as well. It's a bit more than 100 years old, but it's a good read. It has an old-timey feel to it, but worth a look. While earlier I discussed Hangul, the script used in modern times to write Korean. During the period of Crown Prince Sado's life, Chinese script, Hanja, was still used in the court. This was again basically an issue of classism. Being able to write in Hanja was seen as the more educated option. Lady Hyegyang wrote in Hangul. Her writings would actually be seen as a rallying point for Korean culture in future generations, especially during the time of the Japanese Empire's control of Korea. One more thing to note, during this time, Korea was not called Korea. 
Honestly, in Korean, it's still not called Korea today. <laughs> the area we'll be looking at is called Joseon in Korean, Taejoseonguk. The dynasty that ruled it was called the Yi Dynasty. If you're curious, the modern name for Korea in Korean is Hanguk. With that note, I need to discuss what was going on in Korea before Crown Prince Sato was born. About 100 years before Sato's birth, Korea had dealt with two invasions from China, oddly each from a different dynasty. Both invasions, while repelled, were devastating to both the Korean economy and social structures. But these invasions solidified Joseon as a place in its own mind. The second invasion also led to long-term peaceful relations with its neighbors. Oddly enough, the second invasion led to a change in the ruling family in China, not Korea. Since I'll be covering other periods of Korean history later, I will focus on those then. This period, the one covering Sado's father and son, was a bit of a renaissance for Korea. Stable reigns with minimal international discord. And then comes Crown Prince Sado who was actually a bit of chaos in the mix. This isn't the story of one of the potentially great leaders whose life was cut short by disease or old age. Instead, we'll be looking at someone who could have been as chaotic as Charles II of Navarre, combined with the mental health issues of Charles VI of France or Henry VI of England, but never had a chance to rule. I, of course, don't want to tell you Sado's full story before his episode, but I do want to discuss his father a bit. King Yongjo, known as Prince Yon-ing prior to his ascension, is the reigning name of Yi Gum. He was the longest reigning monarch of Joseon. He had a reign of 52 years. This will be rather lucky when I get to his son's story. Yongjo wasn't meant to rule. His older brother, Gyeongjong, was only 35 when he died in 1724 after ruling for only four years. Both kings Yongjo and Gyeongjong were the sons of King Sukjong, who had reigned for almost 46 years. As you can tell from those numbers, this should have been a rather stable period. But King Sukjong had dealt with factional politics throughout his reign that bled into his oldest son's reign. This may have led to the death of King Gyeongjong. There were those in court who felt that Yongjo should have been named king immediately following his father's death because there was a rumor that he had been named by his father at the end of his life as his successor. Instead, the elder brother succeeded. As I mentioned, King Gyeongjong had a short reign, only four years. Gyeongjo, while the son of a king, was also the son of a common maid, and to be even more correct, a slave. His mother, born Che Dong-yi, was known to those who were polite, and this podcast, as Lady Che. Lady Che had joined the palace as a water carrier at the age of seven. At some point well after the age of seven, likely around 19. She impressed the king with her kindness towards his exiled queen, In Hyun. If you've watched K-drama, you may have heard of this queen. Apparently, In Hyun had gone into exile to protect Sukjong. Lady Che had been one of her servants prior to this and missed her mistress. She was marking the exiled queen's birthday. 
Sukjong was touched by this servant's devotion. Due to this, and probably other reasons, mainly she was young and likely pretty, Sukjong and Lady Che began a relationship. They had two sons, one who died young, and one, the future king, Yongjo. Being the son of a water girl is not the usual route for one to become king. Think back to even Henry I, who didn't name any of his illegitimate sons as heir. This is the big difference when multiple women can be consorts. There are fewer illegitimate children, at least at a noble level. Yongjo was adopted by Queen Inwan, his father's fourth queen. Yongjo wasn't actually able to acknowledge his mother, biological mother, officially for the early part of his reign. She was eventually allowed to be recognized as his mother. Oh, adoption is another thing I should mention quickly. In royal traditions, not unlike the Romans, adoption could occur to assure a certain preferred heir ruled. It also connected the sons of consorts to the king's senior wife, his queen. It could also happen posthumously, which I will go through in the coming episodes. I'm going to get into a slightly complicated bit of 18th century Korean politics. I hope you'll bear with me and don't stress if you don't remember all of this. Just like with European royal courts, Korean royal courts had factions. Politics is just the same thing with different names, right? The complication that makes this a bit more interesting is the multiple consorts for the king. Think of how influential a mistress can be in Europe. Alice Perrers during the reign of Edward III, or Jean-Antoinette Poisson, better known as Madame de Pompadour. Now imagine these mistresses are legal wives, and the way for selecting a wife is to have the noble families of the country put forth their eligible daughters. Young Zhou's adopted mother, Queen Inuan, had been born into a family who supported the Soran faction. But after Sukjong's death, switched to the Noron faction. Queen Inwan would live well into her adoptive son's reign. She will come up again. The Noron faction, which my spell check keeps wanting to change to Moron faction, it was not, was ignored during the short reign of Gyeongjong. He favored the Soran faction. It was suggested after Gyeongjong's death that the Noron faction may have poisoned him but food poisoning is just as likely. There is one other faction that may come up, the Namin faction, often called the Southerners. Namin literally means South people. The Soran faction even tried to kill Yongjo and make it look like a hunting accident. I'm not joking when I say politics look similar all over the world. Same script, different actors. His adoptive mother protected him throughout this period. Oh, and for those curious, the names of each of these factions are locations. But they aren't locations throughout Korea. They're just locations within Seoul. These will come up a little in the upcoming episodes, but don't panic if you don't remember the names. On the 16th of October, 1724, Yongjo became king following the death of his brother. He was two weeks away from his 30th birthday and became the 21st ruler of Joseon. He had been married to his first wife for three years upon his ascension, though they would never have any children. He'd had a consort prior to his wife, by whom he had had three children, two princesses, and of course, most importantly to a monarch, his son. 
His oldest son, Crown Prince Hyo Jung, personal name Yi Heng, was five and appointed the Crown Prince the year after his father's ascension. It's important to note that Hyo Jung is his posthumous name, but it's the easiest way to find him when searching online. The king had his young heir married at the age of eight to an 11-year-old noble girl, Jo Hyo-sun. Sadly for the king, this first son died at the age of 12. Much like the European monarchies I've discussed earlier, high infant mortality is to be expected, but losing a child once they've reached adolescence was rare. Hyo-jang's death was devastating to his father. Hyo-san would only live until she was 35, and her death saddened her father-in-law greatly. It would be six and a half years before young Jo had another son, Sado, the subject of these upcoming episodes. Yongjo had a total of 12 daughters from his four consorts. Neither of his queens had issue. Six of these daughters were born between the births of his sons. Three of those daughters were born after his first son's death and prior to his second son's birth. I think it would give Henry VIII some perspective. Sadly, two of those daughters were short-lived. Since I don't want to talk too much about Crown Prince Sado, I'll share a few more notes about his father's reign before starting Sado's story. Yongjo's reign was one of stability. The first few years, though, were a bit rough. The faction that had supported him, the Noron, took out all their frustration at being ignored during his brother's reign on their rival faction, the Soron. There are records of a thousand people a year being killed for the first few years of his reign just due to this factional rivalry. Yongjo's reign had one out-of-date thing of note. Prohibition. The king banned the production and imbibing of spirits. Yeah, he was a bit of a killjoy. This was possibly the earliest prohibition of alcohol at a national level. Oddly, despite this ban, wine is mentioned multiple times in his daughter-in-law's memoirs. With that, I will see you next week for Prince Sato's story. Before I go, a huge welcome to my newest patron, Michael. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at pastpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash pastpod. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.